Thank you, guys. Uh, these guys are way too humble. They have given and served and, and showed up early and stayed late to, to make this church what it is. Those guys are awesome. And so um, uh, let's clap for awesome people. So before we dig into to that scripture, Luke's scripture about Zechariah, uh, I have a confession to make. Uh, I'm not good at CrossFit. So that feels good to get off my chest, and uh, thanks for letting me be honest about that. I thought I was good at CrossFit for one day, uh, and then I wasn't. I realized very quickly that I wasn't. And, uh, and I know uh, me, me talking about CrossFit, uh, if, if you're part of that community, uh, you lost a good one this week in Jacob Morris, and so I hope he would be honored by me being silly for a couple of minutes. But um, I tried CrossFit a couple years ago, and uh, I got a Groupon. Uh, you ever get a Groupon that you wish you never gotten? That was the, so I got a Groupon, and it was unlimited class. I was like, well, I'm going to get my money's worth out of this. And so I went the first day, and guys, it was, it was actually kind of easy. Like CrossFit was easy. We ran a mile. We did some pull-ups. We did some box jumps. I finished faster than everybody else, and I left thinking, like, CrossFit's kind of easy. I don't know what the big deal about CrossFit is. Uh, maybe I should try something harder. Is there, like, an advanced CrossFit or something? And so, uh, so then the next day, I came back, and the class was twice as big. I thought that was a little weird, but that's okay. And then the instructor begins the class by saying, hey, thanks so much for everybody who made it yesterday to our recovery day. I know it was particularly brutal two days ago, but we're gonna get back at it today. And I think, oh no. <laughs> and so then he was like, okay, get on this row machine and row forever, just never stop. Just keep rowing forever, and so I rowed forever. And then he's like, take this million pound medicine ball and just throw it at the wall and make sure you catch it and try not to fall down. I was like, okay, I can do that. And so we did that uh, forever. And then we crawled on the ground for a while in a way that I'm still not sure how that helps me from a health standpoint, but we did that for a while. <clears throat> and I'm dying at this point. I'm like, whew, man, CrossFit's a little, maybe a little more challenging than I thought it was. And then he says, good job with the warm up, guys. Let's get started on the workout. <laughs> And so we did things, I don't know, I blacked out halfway through it, I don't know what we were doing. And, uh, that was, and, and it was awful, but that wasn't the worst part. So as I'm leaving, uh, everything inside me decided it wanted to be outside of me. Uh, I held on through the class, but not all the way to the parking lot. So, so I'm doubled over at my car, just, you know, the demons coming out of me. And, and uh, that's not the worst part either. The worst part is that the instructor comes over as this is happening and he gets right here. Why he would want to be here, I don't know, but he gets right here and he's giving like CrossFit levels of encouragement. He's like, hey man, don't worry about it. It's just your endocrine system adjusting to the intensity of the workout. Once you get adjusted to it, you're gonna be just fine. And I'm like, Aaron, thanks, but could you just give me five minutes to finish this process? Email me about the endocrine system and I'll read it before my funeral or whatever, I don't. So. I thought I was good at CrossFit for a day, and I wasn't. But I was certain. After that first day, if you'd have asked me, I'd have been like, yeah, I'm pretty good at CrossFit. Uh, and, and, and I wasn't, because my certainty wasn't based in truth. We've been talking about that throughout this Advent series as we've been looking at the people that heard the announcement of, of Jesus, the Savior of the world, coming into the world, how they responded to it, and whether or not certainty in our circumstances is what we actually need most to be faithful to God. Because certainty can only happen after you've experienced the truth. But clarity, enough clarity to move forward, can come from believing the truth in advance. All right, so 
Luke tells us that Zechariah is a local priest in a small town and that he's a righteous man, which is an honorable thing. This is very important in the culture he comes from to be honorable. And so he's a righteous man, righteous before God. That's an honorable thing. But then the very next thing that Luke tells us is that he can't have children or hasn't had children. That is shame-inducing. And I understand there are almost certainly people in this room that have walked through trying to have children and, and being unable to, or maybe you're walking through that right now, and I'm so sorry for the pain that that creates. But in Zechariah's culture, it wasn't just painful, it was actually shameful because the thought of the day was, if anything bad happens to you, it's because God is punishing you for that bad thing. Bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people. So if he can't have children, can't have a lineage, can't have a heritage, it must be because he's not all that righteous. So he's living in this space between honor and shame. By the way, Jesus seems to clear this whole misconception up in his own ministry. He and his disciples are walking by a man born blind once, and the disciples ask him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, if something bad happened to him, he must be bad, or his parents must have been bad. And Jesus responds, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happened so that God could be glorified through him. So Jesus seems to clear this up, but in Zechariah's day, he's living in this space between honor and shame. Zechariah is uh, in the temple uh, giving sacrifice because that's his priestly duty. He'd, he'd been assigned to that post. And while he's there, an angel appears inside the temple. And what does the angel say? Don't be afraid. Why does the angel say don't be afraid? Because angels know they're terrifying, right? So they always start with that. If an angel dropped in right now, right here, I promise you the first thing they would say is don't be afraid. And then he says you're going to have a son. So uh, he knows he's terrifying. He says don't be afraid. Zechariah is terrified. And he's like, but I have good news for you. You're going to have a son. Your prayers have been answered. And the son is, is, is important. The angel's really clear about what God is up to. I mean, he gives very detailed uh, uh, information about who his son is going to be, Zechariah's son. He's going to be named John. And it's not going to be just joy for you. It's going to be joy for, for lots and lots of people because your son, John, is going to point people to God. He's going to give his life pointing people to God. So much so that he's not going to drink wine. He's not going to get distracted by that. That's what the wine thing's all about. He's not going to be distracted. He's going to be laser-focused on pointing people to God, but there's more. There's even more good news. Not just pointing people to God. He's actually going to announce God coming back here. That's who your boy's going to be. That's who John is going to be. That's what the angel says. And Zechariah says, this is crazy. The angel's really clear about what God is up to. Zechariah says, this is crazy. It's not crazy that God would work. It's crazy to Zechariah that God would work through him. Did you get that? Zechariah is not doubting that God's going to save the world, that he's going to provide a way to redeem all things. He's just really surprised that God would work through him. Please, and this might be the most important thing I say to at least one person in the room this morning, don't make the mistake of thinking that God and his plan to redeem the world doesn't include you, that you're somehow a sideline observer to what God is doing in the world. You are significant. So Zechariah is surprised God would work through him because Zechariah is too old to have kids. See, he felt he had enough information to be certain, to make the determination that it's impossible for me to have kids, but his certainty wasn't rooted in the truth. 
So he asked the angel, he's like, how, how can this be? How can I be sure of this? Can you give me a sign or something? And when the Bible's funny, I think we should, we should actually like pay attention to it and we should acknowledge it. What comes next is so funny, right? Zechariah's like, I wish I had a sign or something so I could be sure about this whole blessing that you're gonna bring. And he's like, man, I'm an angel. Like, what? I bet Gabriel has an inferiority complex, right? He shows up and he's like, uh, here I am. I'm going to announce this good thing. I'm really clear about what God's up to. And Zechariah's like, I just wish I had a sign, you know? Like something, if God would speak more clearly, I think that would really help things out. And he's like, I'm an angel, right? And so um, he wants certainty, right? Zechariah wants certainty of what God is doing about the blessing. Here's what he wants. He's like, look, man, you're just an angel. Where's the kid? Like, I got to see it to believe it. He's like, I want more than clarity. I want certainty because it's been so long. See, Zechariah is old. He's gone through the, the whole kind of prime of having kids age, and he thinks that it's impossible. But also, God had just been silent for a long time, and they kind of lined up together. Zechariah hadn't heard from God about his family, and, and God had just been kind of basically silent. 400 years since he had sent a prophet. He used to speak through the prophets, so the Old Testament, the latter part of the Old Testament, all these prophets where God would speak through people to deliver messages, but it had been 400 years. Malachi is the last prophet we have in the Old Testament, and, and then we have a 400-year period before the New Testament. And for us, it's just a page. We read Malachi, boom, we flip over to the New Testament, no problem. But for Zechariah, it was a life of faithful service and nothing from God but silence. I don't know about you, but if I have to wait longer than 10 minutes... Uh, than like longer than I've expected to get an Amazon package, I freak out, right? Like I don't like waiting. I don't want to wait for anything. Uh, like it, it's like, hey, they said it delivered. They said it was delivered and it hasn't been delivered. I'm here. I'm here at my front. I'm look. I see the little truck. It says they dropped it off. They didn't drop it off. You know what I need? It probably got stolen. I need one of those ring alarm things so that like when the bad guys come, you can click in, be like, hey, I see you, and they run off. You've seen the commercials, and uh, I need one of those. But the problem is, it was in the box that clearly someone stole. That's the stuff I think about. So Zechariah, his lack of having children, this long wait, having to wait and wait and wait, probably just magnified the silence of, of God in general for him. But God was clear through the angel. It's just that Zechariah wanted more. He wanted more than clarity. And because he doesn't have faith in God about what God is going to do through him, as the angel had told him, because of the disappointment and shame that he'd experienced, the, the length of time leading to disbelief, the result is he can't speak for nine months. That's the basic outline of what we just read together. Here's what I want to dig into. Here's what I believe. I believe God still surprises people. I think we see it here. I think he still does it today. I believe God surprises people, oftentimes by offering clarity even when we can't have certainty. I believe God surprises people, and I think he often does it through providing clarity even when we can't have certainty. So Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, they weren't expecting this in a sense. They'd kind of gotten over expecting this. They were, they were that couple that, like, you know, if they had a baby and, like, in a stroller, and you're like, oh, that's a cute kid. Where, like, don't you love being grandparents? And they're like, no, that's actually our kid, right? They were old, 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 right? And Zechariah is righteous, but he's not presented as a hero in the faith. He actually is presented as someone who doesn't believe God. 
But here's what's important. Sometimes everyday, regular life can provide the context for God to do extraordinary things. God meets him right in his day-to-day. He was just doing his job. That's it. He was just doing his job, and God showed up right there. If you feel like life is just going through the motions, it's just routine, and you've got this kind of quiet reservation, it's like, this is just all there is. This is just how things are going to be, and I just kind of keep moving through my days. Don't make the mistake of thinking God can't meet you right there and do surprising things. Remember I said it had been 400 years since there was uh, a prophet, since God had spoken through a prophet, and it was Malachi. You want to know what those last words were? I hope you do, because I'm going to tell you anyway. So just act like you want to to hear those last words. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. God says through the prophet, See, I will send you a prophet, Elijah, to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord's coming. Translation, God says, I'm not finished. It's not done yet. Hang on. And this, Zechariah's story is the story of the beginning of how God will bring ultimate hope and healing into the world using ordinary people shamed by their community who only offer half-hearted faith. Zechariah is going to raise a son who's going to be that Elijah. He's going to be the one who announces the return of God to his people. This is good news for us. It means if all we have to offer is ordinary life, just I'm just ordinary me, and only have half-hearted faith half the time. It means we don't get cut out of the story. It means God will still use us. But we miss out if we don't trust God. When we wait for certainty we can't have rather than move forward with the clarity we do have. Zechariah essentially says to the angel, look, I've prayed for this for a long time and nothing. I'm not going to move forward until the outcome is certain, until what I want to be the outcome is certain. He didn't let clarity move him forward. He waited, and it led to silence. This is what happens when we want certainty of outcome more than we want clarity from God. It leads to silence. And the thing is, I imagine Zechariah was was frustrated in this space between honor and shame, waiting for so long, disappointment, I imagine he was frustrated. I would be frustrated because all frustration is birthed out of unmet expectations. When anticipation isn't realized, that's where frustration comes from. That's not just Zechariah, that's all of us. I anticipated the promotion and I didn't get it. I'm frustrated. I anticipated getting noticed for my good work and I didn't. I'm frustrated. I anticipated getting into that school so that I could move forward in my career and I didn't get into that school. I'm frustrated. I expected my spouse to be more kind, more attentive to my needs, and they aren't, and I'm frustrated. By the way, that's a completely hypothetical example. I just want to be really clear about that one. My wife is one of the most amazing people in the world. But when expectations aren't met, disappointment can lead to things like doubt, can lead to anger, but it can also lead to silence. We say, you know what, I'm just going to turn off expectation altogether. I'm going to flip the switch, boom, no disappointment because I don't anticipate anything anymore. I don't expect anything anymore. I don't have to interact with God anymore. I'll just move about my business. He'll move about his business, and I'll just do life that way. No more expectation, boom, silence. But we can't turn it off. That's a fool's errand. We can't turn off anticipation. We're wired for anticipation. We're wired for hope. So much so that we can actually question the clarity we do have 
and the promises we have heard if they take too long. A couple years ago, uh, my daughter asked me, am I going to put up Christmas lights on the house? Now, it's a little bit of a strange question because I've never put up Christmas lights at th- to this point. I've never put up Christmas lights before. I'm, I'm not like anti, I'm not like a Scrooge about Christmas lights or anything like that. It's just I'm what you would call lazy about it. Like, I just don't want to spend the time. Uh, it's like, I only got one day off. I'm not going to put lights up. Uh, so I would hang a garland by the door and I'd be like, celebrate. You know, uh, this is like, take me two minutes to hang it up there. Uh, but my daughter realized that we, when we moved into a new house a couple years ago, we moved early in the year, that the previous owner had done some, some kind of uh, tricked out upgrades to the house. Like uh, there are these little dowel rods, these little metal rods that stick out of the windows and he pre-drilled the plywood for the storm, you know, like for the hurricane. So all I have to do is literally just take the board and go, and then to these four little screws, I'm good, I'm good to go. It takes me like 30 minutes, uh, which is good because hurricanes happen. So that, like things like that, but also he had put these little clips all around the edge of the roof. And so putting up Christmas lights, would be this hard. That's it. I mean, that's it. That's all I have to do. And so my astute daughter realized this, and she was like, well, maybe I'll get him on, like, the super lazy uh, thing. So right around June, she's like, you going to put up Christmas lights this year? I'm like, yeah, probably, because I was, I was nervous about, like, dishonoring the legacy of the previous owner. And so I was like, yeah, I will do it. So we put the Christmas tree up day after Thanksgiving, like Good American. And she's like, you're going to go put the Christmas tree uh, Christmas lights up, and I was like, oh, not today. Let's just enjoy the inside, but I'll do it this, I'll do it this week. Next day, you're going to put the Christmas lights. No, I said, I'll do it this week, but not, not to, next day, you're going to put the Christmas. No, I'm going to do it this week. Uh, and then uh, she tried a different tactic. Your kids probably do this. It's called a question appetizer. You ever have a question appetizer where it's like that, the first question is not the real question. It just warms you up for the real question. And so the next day, she comes in, and she's like, hey, um, what days don't you work? I was like, oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, Saturdays and then usually Fridays as well. And she's like, oh, that's good. Is that when you're going to put the lights up? And I'm like, got me. Uh, so it, she anticipated something good. It hadn't happened yet. And things not happening when we want or how we want can lead us to actually question the clarity we have been given because we want certainty. We want to see it. We want it now. Don't just say it's going to happen. I want to see it. And as people, because we can try, but ultimately we can't turn off anticipation, that makes us susceptible to hurt and disappointment, right? Like, because it wasn't happening fast enough, my daughter was like, come on, get, get along with it. She was feeling disappointment because we can't turn off anticipation. Ultimately, ultimately that can lead to distrust in God. That's what happened for Zechariah. If you pray long enough and you don't feel like you're hearing anything, that can lead to disappointment. So Zechariah was hurt God hadn't shown up in the past the way he wanted to. And for us, maybe there's a hurt we have in our lives. The hurt we feel, it might not even be our fault. It might be circumstantial. The disappointment may not be our fault. The trauma that's, that's created by the hurt that we feel might not be our fault. But healing, in part, is our responsibility. Because silence is not the best choice. And you might say, well, look, Zechariah didn't have a choice, but he did. He did have a choice. Yeah, but the angel said, boom, you're silent. Like, he wasn't choosing silence, but, but he did have a choice. He could have moved forward with the clarity he had from God, even though he was uncertain about how it was all going to work out. He could have moved forward because he had enough clarity to move forward. So where we've experienced hurt, 
healing is in part our responsibility because if it isn't, an unfair circumstance becomes an unlived life. And a silent heart to God and to others. That's what we see in Zechariah. That's what we experience as well. We, we hear the promises of God, but, but maybe it seems untrue because of what we're going through. We hear the promises of God, but it seems untrue because it's way too far away. We hear the promises of God, but they're drowned out by a world that tells us a different story. You know, He says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, but every commercial I watch says, I'm not good enough, but I could be better if I buy this. And then in two weeks, we're going to release a new one, and you're going to have to buy that and then the next, and then the next, and then the next. And the world is loud. So God offers the clarity of his word and his actions on our behalf. And if we aren't careful, how we respond practically is we say, not enough. Not enough, God. And we, like Zechariah, can let hope go silent. So maybe silence is as much a natural consequence of our feelings about God as it is a punishment from God. And our silence in, in uncertainty, this is so important for us, it always hurts more than just ourselves. It's never just us that gets hurt when we go silent to God and to others. Maybe someone needs that word of hope and encouragement and we just don't give it. We say, like, I know he's, he calls us to love our neighbor, but look, I don't know how they're going to respond so we don't risk it. Jesus says, forgive seven times 70. Essentially, never stop forgiving. But look, I don't know if that's going to repair the relationship, so I'm not going to take the first step. I'm not going to reach out. And the impacts can spread beyond our individual relationships. We know he calls us to care for the widow and the orphan and the poor and the immigrant and the powerless. But we say, you know what, those are big problems. And people get really heated about that stuff, so I'm just going to watch from the sideline for a while. I'm going to stay silent on this one. But our silence always hurts more than just ourselves. Uh, Abby and I were in Washington, D.C. a couple weeks back uh, running the Marine Corps Marathon because we're weird. And uh, while we were there, we took in some of the monuments and, and museums. I love going to these places. And there were two that I hadn't been to before, but I was really excited to go to. Uh, one was the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, and the other was the American Holocaust Museum. And we, we, saw, we were there back-to-back, -back essentially, and so th there's, they're kind of connected in my brain. There's this giant sculpture of Martin Luther King Jr. at his memorial, and then this wall, this wall of water uh, that comes down. But behind the wall of water are these quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. If you wonder which ones are on there, don't worry. Just hang in for another couple sermons, and I'm sure I'll just give them all to you over time. But one that really has shaped who I am and what I believe and how I do ministry is this. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So I've got that quote ringing in my head, and then we walked through the American Holocaust Museum. It's a powerful space, and the thing when you walk out, it's, it's orchestrated this way that you see this stark wall with a simple quote on it. It's from a Lutheran minister who was an early Nazi supporter who was later imprisoned because he uh, denounced Hitler. Here is his quote. First they came for the socialists and I didn't speak out because I'm not socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I didn't speak out because I'm not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I didn't speak out because I'm not Jewish. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. Our silence in uncertainty always hurts more than just ourselves. 
We shouldn't let lack of certainty of outcome or previous disappointment lead to silence about things that are important. Maybe we're in a place where, where we say, you know what, God, I, I, I trusted you for a long time, like a long, long time, and I prayed and you didn't seem to listen. Maybe you didn't even care and you want me to trust you now? Yes, he says. Yeah, but I asked you to take that cancer away and you didn't do it, God, and you want me to trust you now? Yes, he says. I asked you to help me get that job so I could provide for my family and I didn't get it and you want me to trust you now? Yes, God says. Yeah, but they hurt me. And you didn't seem to care, God, and you want me to trust you now? Yes, God says. Otherwise, we run the risk of self-sabotaging any chance of faith we actually have moving forward. Guys, Zechariah was a priest. He was in the temple. He was a church guy. He showed up faithfully. He was a righteous man in the sight of people, and he doubted God. He wasn't sure if he could trust God. And he had the loss and the pain and the experience to back it all up, to back all that apprehension up. God hadn't shown up to give him children. That was true. But that wasn't the only thing that was true. God's still moving. He's still saving. He's still redeeming. Sometimes disappointment can narrow our view. What God invites us to do at Advent, this time where we anticipate the coming of Jesus, is to zoom back out and see that he hasn't left us. God didn't offer Zechariah the certainty he wanted, but he was clear, I'm inviting you in. And God won't always offer us the certainty we want, but he will be clear he's inviting us in. It's clear. God is healing the world. And he went to great lengths to prove it. He showed up himself as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He showed up to us. In a small town, in the worst possible conditions, to be born a child named Jesus who would save the world. God came to dwell with his people just as he's always promised he would, to live and love, to ultimately die, but yet his love is so big, death itself couldn't hold him. This is the story, the true story we prepare for at Advent. And the one we miss, if we're not open to being surprised by God, are we open to being surprised by God? His goodness. Or do we see ourselves as too insignificant to play a part? Or are we racing around too much to stop and see it? Or do we just think, look, the clarity I have in Jesus isn't enough for me, though there could be nothing better. We're built for anticipation. We're people that are built for anticipation. We can't turn it off. We shouldn't turn it off. And that might leave us susceptible to disappointment. That's a fact. But silence is not the best choice because God is clear. We can put our hopes in him. We can trust him because he offers grace to heal the world and he spares nothing to show it. God is so clear. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so here's the question. Do we choose silence or is what God is clear about enough to be open to the idea that he might surprise us right here, right where we are? The invitation is to be people that let God surprise us.
So let's pray for that. God, thank you so much for who you are, a God who surprises us in our everyday, in our, in our day-to-day lives. You enter in to right where we are. God, I don't know what the people in this room are, are struggling with. I don't know what past disappointments they have walked through. I don't know what disappointment they're, they're, they're in the midst of right now. I don't know where they feel like you've been too silent for too long. But God, I pray that they would be open, that we would be open to you surprising us, meeting us right where we are. That's what Christmas is all about, God. That's what you have shown us more than anything, that you can show up in unexpected times and in unexpected places to bring healing and hope. So I pray that you would do that for us as individuals and that we, as we're open up to being surprised by you, would move forward faithfully with the clarity we have from you, even though the certainty of outcome might not be something that's available to us. Give us hope. Give us courage and boldness. In Jesus' name, amen.